Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel to all decks. Hello everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek and what's going to be another one of our open channel episodes. If you're looking for our best of TOS series, don't worry, that is definitely coming back. But today we're going to take another slight departure and talk about toxic fandom. Now, this conversation that you're going to hear is more generalized, not just about toxic fandom in the Star Trek universe. But as with these discussions, you know, you can feel free to insert fandom of your choice here. And before I throw to fellow Trekkies slash co-host Kyle Jones and from the Discussing Who podcast and Relativity podcast, Lee Shackford, who was also a former writer for The Next Generation. Before I do that, I wanted to just iterate a few things. First, let's ask ourselves the question, what is toxic fandom? Again, there's no hard and fast rule for this, but taking the two core words, toxic and fandom, you can come up with a pretty good definition for that, which I summarize as a state of possessiveness and entitlement leading to a feeling of superiority among a fan community. And that is based on Rachel Lepper's definition, which she says, possessiveness, entitlement, and a feeling of superiority are the three main ingredients in a toxic stew. So it doesn't take much to to figure out why those would contribute to toxic fandom, uh, a sense of ownership, a sense that whatever the IP is, in this case, Star Trek is yours and you own it. And you somehow, <laughs> if you think we somehow we have a a voice in its fate, which, you know, ironically enough, with the Internet and um, two way communication with a lot of these producers and creators, directors, we do somewhat have a stake in its fate. It's gone beyond in the days where you would vote with your viewership, you know, vote, vote with your Nielsen television rating numbers. It's gone on into a mode of where you can voice by outrage on the Internet or <laughs> feedback giving through various social media outlets. So it's, it's a very interesting um, dynamic that we're in right now. And again, we get into some of this stuff later with Lee and Kyle. We'll talk about that and we'll talk about this notion of entitlement uh, is mine and you can't have it. How dare you change this property that I've loved for X amount of years? You know, I watched this show since it's been on TV. It's mine. I have the right to determine its fate, even if the actual creators see a vision that might stray away from what you think it should be or maybe even what it's been. You know, things change. Things aren't going to remain the same. And if they are the same, they're probably going to be stale and not around much longer. So, you know, you kind of have to give your intellectual properties the opportunity to grow and to be something else while hopefully, hopefully still staying true to those core values. So I definitely see why it would cause issue there if they're straying too far. But this this sense of entitlement about this property may not even be yours to have in the long run. You know, as a fan, I have a right to certain privileges. That's what we certainly think anyway. And of course, there are different levels of fandom. You have the very casual fans up into the expert or elite. And I feel like a lot of times the elitist or the experts in this franchise or this IP, they tend to alienate people who are new who are casual and trying to get into the property just by 
being bad people and not being good stewards of whatever the franchise is. So I'm going to say to you people in the midst of all this toxicity, when new people come aboard into the franchise with, say, a discovery or whatever new show that Paramount Plus is putting out right now, let's be good stewards of that. Let's bring them on board. You know, just like a new job, let's onboard them into the franchise we know and love and try to foster some of those same things that we have within them. Allow people to have their own interpretation uh, or their own connection to the fandom. Everybody's connection is not going to be the same. And we certainly have the right to voice our opinion when we feel the, the show or the property has gone astray. As long as you're coming from that viewpoint, from from a place of love and not really a place of hate or ownership of thing, because I mean, uh, and actually it's not even yours, to be honest. Yeah. So that's kind of the different levels of fandom. But what are the different types of toxic fandom real quick? Um, you can have intra fandom, you know, uh, as I just mentioned, the the elite versus the casual. You can have inter fandom where, um, you know, <laughs> Star Trek fans are hating on the Star Wars fans. You know, those are mostly fun and casual. That's why I kind of love those debates because I don't ever feel they get into the sense of hate as much as the intra fandom, uh, debates get into. It's funny because I, I feel that, like there's such different properties that we can have intelligible debates about them without being mean or, you know, it's all it's all in good fun. It's in good it's in good fun for the most part, I feel. But certainly uh, I think the the intra fandom is like where a lot of the heat comes from because you have oldies versus new casual people uh, that tend to hash it out. And also you have the concept of fans versus producers, showrunners, directors. Again, when you talk about them not being or, or the show changing so much from what you originally envisioned. I think that could lead to a lot of toxicity where us as fans, we think that the show is not what we think it should be. You know, why are you retconning something that, that we've lived with for so long or changing the way it looks or those Klingons don't look right. You know, it's, it's so many facets as many facets of that that can be explored. And again, if you want something to grow, it, it it's going to take a little bit of change in us to be able to adapt to that change. Now, we don't have to just jump on board with it and say it's good. So you're voting with your feedback. And if that feedback is not positive for the showrunners, I do think they need to make adjustments. But I think it always comes back to being good stewards of the franchise. And certainly once you look at Discovery, again, the Paramount Plus properties, a lot of that same sentiment was levied at them because it was just so different. Talk about early criticism. People really had the same type of criticism when Star Trek The Next Generation came around. Marina Sirtis <laughs> said something at a convention a long time ago. Uh, the fans hated the fact that we were on, she says. I mean, people assume because we became so successful that it was always that way. But no. I would go to conventions where there were like 30 people and they'd be sitting with their arms crossed saying, how dare you take the place of our heroes? So we really had to win over our audience. And I think that's what Star Trek has done over the years. They've presented the shows in different ways, different formula on that seeking out new life mission. And 
you know, it's not always what we had before. And a lot of times we had to adjust to what that was. This article that I have here, the writer was basically just bashing the the next generation cast at the time. So the article reads, Star Trek is coming back to TV without Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, Dr. McCoy, and the rest of the crew. And Trek is around the world are up in arms. Outraged fans are beseeching Gene Roddenberry, creator of the original series, to halt plans to launch the Starship Enterprise this fall in a syndicated series called Star Trek The Next Generation. Of course, <laughs> this article goes on to talk about Patrick Stewart being relatively unknown as a British actor. It laments on the absence of the original series crew, stating that the new crew would be like remaking a John Wayne movie without the Duke in the saddle. It's a ripoff series. Roddenberry is trying to cash in. So, <laughs> again, that, that t- entitlement and ownership uh, definitely gives us the right to critique and steer the outcome of what the show might be. But let's give it a chance to see the vision. Let's give it a chance to see what the vision is. And again, that's just one one example. But I also think of. You know, another huge thing of toxicity in the Star Trek universe as of late is this battle between Star Trek Discovery and the Orville and that (laughs) the oft used statement that Orville is more real Trek than Discovery is real Trek. Now, does the Orville hit a lot of those same sentiments that the 90s era Trek shows and even, you know, TOS to a certain extent did? Yes, but let's be real. The Orville is overly silly. It does have some great concepts. It does hit a lot of those t- same tones with, you know, with the Star Trek directors and showrunners being involved in a project. And I really love the Orville. So I'm not bashing the Orville. I love it, actually. And I suggest everybody go watch it. But we can have this thing here called the Orville that is very much hitting on those Star Trek tones, but is a little more silly. And we can have this new version of what we think Star Trek is in 20, but when it starts 18 till now and both can exist. And because the Star Trek proper show is not exactly what its old self was, doesn't mean it's not Star Trek. Now I will admit, even with Discovery, it's, I don't think I could sit down and watch every episode with my kids. Like you probably could with most of the nineties era Star Trek. We're just in a different era of television. And again, that doesn't mean it's bad. It might be for a different set of people. It might might not be the same exact thing we had before, but it is in the Star Trek universe. It is canon. And, you know, I think with time we'll grow to love it, which I think even by we're almost to season four now. So I think a lot of people have been able to jump on board to to the Star Trek that we have now. So, you know, Discovery versus Orwell, that's 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 a, a fandom battle that's going on. With Toxic Phantom, there are definitely stages, and I actually stole this from Sam Sykes on Twitter, so definitely go follow Sam Sykes, where he discusses the stages of fandom in a tweet, and I'll read that tweet. Here we go. I love this. I own this. I control this. I can't control this. I hate this. I must destroy this. (laughs) But, of course... Your right to the fandom ends where the next person's begins. So, again, being good stewards. And if you follow these three tenets uh, of, of nerddom from Adam Rogers of Wired, which, you know, is kind of a take on the um, the three laws rule. 
One, a fan must not harm another fan or through inaction allow any fan to come to harm. Two, fans must cooperate with other fans except where such cooperation would violate the previous tenant. Three, fans must protect the existence of fandom except where such protection violates tenants one and two. And finally, in the words of the great podcaster Jeff Kanata, think about what you put out into the world and make it a better place. And with that, I am done. I'm going to throw to Kyle Lee and me, of course, where we talk about toxic fandom, mostly dealing with Doctor Who. But everything we talk about is definitely applicable to anyone in the Star Trek universe. Again, insert fandom of your choice here. And with that, I'll see you guys next time. Live long and prosper. Take it away, Kyle. Welcome back, everyone. I am Kyle Jones, and I want to welcome back and starting welcoming back. There's no welcome back that I can give other than one to the one and the only Lee Shackelford. Lee, how are you? I am well, sir. I'm well, and and hope you are as well. I'm especially uh, happy today because I spent part of the day running errands out and about, which is just good to get out of the house, right? But while I was doing it, I listened to our episode about Planet of Giants, which I and I thoroughly enjoyed that. So, you know, we couldn't have had Planet of Giants, not the, because I kept wanting go. to say the, but Planet of Giants without Clarence Brown. Clarence Brown, how are you? Doing well, man. Uh, as always, you know, glad to be on with you guys talking about what are we talking about exactly? <laughs> <laughs> we are talking about fandom in general and positive and toxic fandoms. And I just want to have a good conversation because listening to Planet of Giants, we actually made a comment in there. And that's what spurred this conversation that we're having tonight. In that episode of Discussing Who, we said, we talked about a Chibnall comment that someone had made specifically on Chibnall's birthday saying that they wished that he would die. God. And we commented on how absurd that was. Yes. Yeah. Absurd indeed. Absolutely. So, gentlemen, as much as I want to do it, I cannot find a very good reason to tell people that if you don't know anything about toxic fandom, put us on pause, think about it, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. <laughs> no, I, th- I think actually that made a lot of sense, Kyle, because I, I would hope that we should be able to talk about things that, um, I don't know, go the, the breadth and, and width and length of some of these franchises. So people should just be warned. If you're not fully up to speed on everything, <laughs> <laughs> then we may, uh, you know. Well, yeah, you're right. There may be some spoilers if you've not listened or to our reviews or even seen the reviews of series 11 and 12 mm-hmm. of Doctor Who yeah. that might fall in the range of you may want, not want to listen to this. But we're going to try our best to keep it generalized. But there are, you're right. There are some things that are going to come up. Yeah. That being said, I don't think that you could get around knowing that the doctor is a woman now. You know, the current incarnation right, kind of, of the doctor yeah. is a woman. I think that's, you know, out there. That being said, I purposely 
did not prepare other than preparing the questions i didn't prepare notes for this conversation because i just wanted to have a conversation between three friends who happen to be podcasters and get our thoughts on why there is such negativity and part of this clarence brown comes from an article you wrote specifically targeting or talking about focusing on the star trek fandom and i know i'm putting you on the spot here but what made you want to write that article that is on medium.com yeah i wrote that so long ago i'm trying to remember what all i said (laughs) (laughs) But no, uh, that particular article was kind of a spinoff of uh, a talk I was supposed to do for Nerd Night Memphis. And uh, the article kind of just sprung up out of that or just really my talking points for that very nervously done speech (laughs) that I did in Nerd Night Memphis. So, yeah, that's kind of where it kind of started at. But again, put it in written form and clean up some stuff. And yeah, that's that's kind of how it all started. So you ask the question in your article that says, what is toxic fandom? And you define that you define it very eloquently. And I want to say what you said or say what you wrote, actually. While there is no hard and fast definition for toxic fandom, we can certainly take the root meanings of the two words and come up with a pretty good guess. I would summarize it as a state of possessiveness and entitlement, which leads to a feeling of superiority among a fan community. Yeah. And and when thinking about that, it's funny because as a IP or a franchise, those are kind of at least half of that are kind of the things you want from your fan base. You want them to have a sense of ownership and feel like they are a part of this big thing. Uh, whether it be Star Trek, Doctor Who, you know, insert your fandom here. But that's kind of the, what you want from people who are consuming your content. But I definitely feel like there is a point that some of those feelings can lead to a sense that um, they, you know, more than the next person and, and leads to a, a bevy of, of toxicity among uh, people who truly do love whatever the franchise is. And it's just kind of sad. <laughs> when it gets to that point. And I think the feeling that you, your feelings about the franchise are more important than the feelings or ideas of the people who uh, are creating the content. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lee, let me ask you this question, because this is one of my questions. Mm-hmm. I want to point this one to you based on what you just said. Who owns the characters? Yeah, it's a complex question. And um, I mean, this, this is the, the realm of the psychological research and and thinking that uh, that my wife does and she and I talk about this all the time think about I'm answering your question with a question but that's <laughs> you know so <laughs> you ask me a question I'm going to ask you a question back think think about um somebody playing a role let's say uh, a Jodie Whittaker she has okay. she has a personality right she has a physical appearance she's given a script that is just words on the page she has some knowledge from her other experience of the show of what the rules, guidelines, and backstory of the character are. She goes before the camera and she says what's in the script, bringing to it everything that she marshals as an artist, right? Yeah. So what are we looking at? Where, where is the doctor? 
is the doctor in the words that she was given to memorize and to perform is the doctor in the performance when when you look at her are you looking at the doctor or are you looking at Jodie Whittaker is it possible to do one without the other you know so so even from that dimension it's really complicated and then each of us as audience members we come to the experience of participating in whatever fiction it is that we've gotten caught up in so when this actor speaks these words that have been written for her to say we're bringing to that our understanding that comes from our life experiences from our biases from our uh, open-mindedness from our <laughs> our loves and hates and you know our our lifetime of tears and laughter so that enters into it too somewhere in the middle of all of that is the character and the experience and and your question is who owns it yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm, okay, this is getting deep. <laughs> yeah, but I think it has to be. It deep. has to. Yeah, I was going. There, there's something so interesting about that. The franchise of Doctor Who is so uniquely placed in that aspect because we have this character who is technically holding up quotes here the same character. It could possibly lead to more of us invoking of what we think that iteration of said character can be. I mean, the other franchises, you have reboots and, you know, you go in with the understanding, okay, this is a reboot, totally different time frame or different interpretation of what we think this is going to be. And most of the time, not all, but most of the time we can kind of get over, you know, if it's vastly different. But with the doctor is so unique because it is the same character. It is the same, you know, it should be, at least a lot of people feel it should be a lot of the same characteristics carried from one to another. And yeah, this is such an interesting question. It's not just Doctor Who. I'm thinking of another fandom outside of comic books proper, but in the MCU, specifically in the MCU Falcon and Winter Soldier series, there's a gentleman who is playing the new Captain America. And in the first episode, he, all he did was walk down some <laughs> stairs and they showed his face and the internet went crazy attacking him. Most punchable face in the MCU. <laughs> yes. And all he did was walk down the stairs, but he was not Steve Rogers and he was not Sam Wilson. And that was the point of the reveal. I mean, he's not supposed to be either of those people. And, that, and that, that's part of the story. Here's somebody else. Here's somebody maybe you don't know yet. Okay. But people online were going after his physical appearance. They were critical yep. of what the guy looked like. Yeah. Like, really? Man, you could spin this so many different ways. And particularly for Yuli and Kyle, your love of comics, and this even extends to books, you know, as the Harry Potter and the Game of Thrones fans will know. Uh, when you're extending, you look at the character that's written on the page of these franchises, the people that have grown to love and read and create this own world in their mind. And, you know, when that goes to the screen, you know how that's interpreted. So there's so many ways you can slice it up when you look at the character specifically that it's interesting. Carol Danvers. Yeah, Carol Danvers. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that character in the comics. So therefore it translated into the movie. Yeah. But, you know, one, one of my favorite books is uh, Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World, which I think should be remembered I think he wanted it to be remembered right up there with uh, the Sherlock Holmes stories that he created because uh, the lost world, the challenger and his friends discover has uh, living dinosaurs in it. And this is around the turn of the last century. 
So think of how many skull islands we've come across in fiction since then. Yeah. <laughs> Conan Doyle did yeah. it first. And the central character of this book and of some of uh, his other stories is this larger-than-life, extraordinary character, Professor Challenger. And there have, there have been all these movies uh, since then. They, they've, they've made The Lost World over and over again many times. And then other things that are supposed to. And nobody has ever come anywhere close to presenting Challenger the way he is in the books, a, as I love him. I just keep thinking, that's <laughs> supposed to be Challenger? Okay. All right. Yeah. You can call him Challenger, but that's not Challenger. It doesn't make me want to hurt the guy who's playing him. It doesn't, <laughs> you know, I don't. I, I just say, well, no, that's. That's not what I envisioned, but, but gee whiz, it doesn't, <laughs> I don't think I've ever gotten angry about it. But you know what's so weird is I left something in that I said in the conversation that I had with mm. Shannon, because whenever I heard it back, I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe <laughs> I said that. But I knew we were having this conversation, so I left it in as an example. When we were talking about the different characters, I brought up the character of Jesse, and I actually said in the conversation that I wanted, you to, wanted to hit beat her. Up yeah, I heard Jessie. that. <laughs> you know, Bonnie Brantley, I'm friends with on Facebook. She's hilarious. I love her to death. And I love the character of Bonnie. But because of something that Jesse does in the yeah. series that ticks me off, I said that on right. instinct, not even thinking. And I think sometimes we as fans say things about these characters that we feel like we own on instinct because we feel like we That's own right. them. Yeah, taking us back to the initial premise. But yeah. But see, in this case, I, I think, I mean, I just adore Bonnie. And I, I think she would be she would be pleased to hear that because... Uh, Jesse is supposed to be a rough around the edges, apologizes for nothing character who is in conflict with Madeline, who we like because she seems kind of helpless. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, we're, we, we do, we do want to take up for, for Madeline and fight with Jesse. You know, I, that's how it's written. And I think that's how she plays it. I think, I think she, she'd get a kick out of that. You were not saying, and, and we adored Donna. That's right. Who, who Bonnie also and plays. The same yes. actress. Right. Well, you were yeah. not saying that you wanted to fight with Bonnie. No, absolutely and, not. And I think there's the distinction that people who don't like the current iteration of Doctor Who, they're going after Jodie Whittaker. Yeah. And I just saw something the other day about the uh, the the popular AT and T commercials and the the young woman who's been their their um, cute chirpy face for for a while, and that she has had to sort of renegotiate how those commercials happen. Uh, because she, because of the hate mail she gets, mm. um, I just think she's gorgeous. But there's some loons out there who said, uh, "You see, this is me hiding behind my microphone and invisibly calling somebody I don't know a loon." But they are picking on her because her hips are wider than they think they should be. Man, it's this. It's just it's, so she did a whole. She's done the last two or three of these commercials. She's done. She's standing behind a desk. So let me ask you guys this question. This is a perfect pivot okay. to this question. How has social media, in your opinion, contributed to toxic fandom exactly like what you're just saying? If it's not the source, it is certainly the gasoline on the fire. Because everybody's a, everybody's a big man when they're hiding behind their username. And they can say anything they want without, uh, you know, without uh, consequence. 
And, you know, uh, our, our constitution and bill of rights does protect us, um, for, you know, we can, we can say pretty much whatever we want. It does not protect us from the consequences of saying what we want. So, but in the, in the miasma of social media, there actually are pretty much no consequences. You can get away with saying anything you want. And people do. Yeah, that makes me think of a story I did. It was a podcast I did a while back, one episode with a friend of mine who was in GameStop and he got into a kind of scuffle with, you know, just some, I guess they're young 20 somethings that kind of took that same, you know, especially in gaming. I guess it hit gaming before it hit any other started to permeate, but, you know, it brought that same toxicity of, you know, oh, you like one particular franchise. We hate you, you know, because of that. And, you know, sometimes when that goes into the real world, there can be huge repercussions. <laughs> and it's just funny how uh, uh, with all the great things the Internet has brought us, um, social media um, has certainly had its challenges. Um, I mean, you know, look at the last four years and what it has brought upon the nation. So. I do feel like social media is a main contributing factor. That's not to say social media is bad. I think we just, like Lee said, we have to be aware that you just because you can doesn't mean you probably should be saying a lot of things. <laughs> and the person who just said this awful thing to you possibly is is somebody who is high, who, who lives in his mother's basement and is only saying that because... He can and has never been taught yep. any better. But yeah, uh, yeah. You, you know, up until just about a month ago, I had an upstairs neighbor who played video games through the wee hours of the night. And if I can hear him without my hearing aids through the yeah. floor, that tells me he was loud. <laughs> and that being said. It was bleepity bleep, bleepity bleep, and bleep bleep bleep, and a bleep bleep bleep, while he was playing the, you know, talking to trash I to see. whomever he, he was fighting on whatever game he was playing. And that, my point back to what you guys are saying, he wouldn't be, well, I'm assuming, but I wouldn't think he would be doing that sitting across from somebody talking that kind of trash that he was talking to. He Maybe, might. I don't yeah, know, but. but but still, but it's easier when you're not in front of that person. But, you know, there's also this thing that I guess I've always been aware of, but uh, my wife's research has really uh, helped me to kind of hone in on. And I guess, I guess this gets back to Clarence's original point. But this this whole thing about brand identification, it's so easy. It's so common for us in, in our consumer culture to decide that we are in love with something, almost anything, that has given us a great deal of pleasure. And then we wrap ourselves up with that. I mean, the three of us, we we, we will play this game about Windows and Macs, right? <laughs> yeah. But sure. And, yeah. Uh, and I've become the arbitrator because I, I use both, right? So I can <laughs> I can I can sit over here and be Switzerland and you you two fight it out. Yeah. But the thing is I think, I think we all have healthy relationships with our operating systems and it's not, you know, it's not something that we really want to fight about. But, but you know that there are people who will get red in the face about, uh, their PC or their Mac. And, and it's because there is a degree to which we, and I'm going to say we, cause I know I do this. 
we get we get wrapped up uh, we get, we let our identities get wrapped up with that thing that we spend a lot of time with and think about a lot and and care about it in a in a real way it becomes part of us yeah let's have a solid example I'll give you a, a very mm. good example. Luckily, we are talking traditionally on Discussing Who about a fandom that appreciates and does not have anything negative toward people talking about their product. But if we received a notice from the BBC tomorrow that says, as a fan-based Doctor Who podcast, you're no longer allowed to make content about our characters, talking about our characters. We would talk about something else, the three of us, I'm quite certain of, but this concept of discussing who that we have had at part of our lives for five years would be null and void. And there's nothing we could do about it because we don't own... Right. Those characters. Yeah. What makes it interesting when you talk about in, inter fandom, you know, one fandom versus another, most of the time that's playful. You know, 90% of the time it's playful. You know, yeah. PC, Mac, and, you know, uh, the Wars versus the Trek and things like that are most of the times playful, but it's kind of discouraging. It's discouraging, excuse me, when the intra toxic fandom is kind of the bigger thing. When you have fans that both love something, we love the same thing, right? Why are we about to kill each other? And, I, you know, I have the same question to ask about big, important topics in the world, as well as about <laughs> uh, uh, fantasy IPs. But I, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still stuck back on Kyle's scenario in which uh, we get a cease and desist from the BBC. I'm just looking around my <laughs> office here and looking at all my Doctor Who stuff and thinking, wouldn't all that stuff feel tainted after that? I I'd probably take a take some stuff off the shelf and say, yeah, well, but I mean, some people some people would react differently. But I, I, you, y'all know, y'all know <laughs> that uh, I had kind of a tussle with um, somebody in the Star Trek universe for for a time there. After you know, I saw the first episode of Star Trek when it aired <laughs> in September 1966. Yeah. That's how long I've been a Trek fan, and it took one person who actually worked at paramount to to make me take all my stuff off the shelf and say well maybe that was for kids and maybe i don't need this in my life anymore you know it just it just kind of spoiled it all for me and i've grown and i've come back (laughs) i'm back Mm. so it's interesting because i want to ask this question before you move forward and i want to pose it to both of you but it's a perfect point to ask this question is there a point when toxic fandom pivots and signals an issue with the brand itself yeah yeah i think so and i think I, I, that's that's sort of where I was going with with my anecdote was that what what I had to sort out for myself was I realized that I had let Star Trek get so wrapped up with who I am that when somebody had had sort of cut me out of something related to Star Trek, I felt like they had gone after me personally. This is somebody who didn't even know who I was, you know. It did, you know, and I had to so I had to untangle me and Star Trek. And I think um, in the what we've seen in the last. Uh, six, eight years is people whose identities are so wrapped up with Star Wars. No, man. That people at uh, Disney, at Lucasfilm, really felt like we had better look after these people or we're going to lose the franchise. And so they tended to their their hurt feelings about things. And the result is three movies that don't seem to be connected to each other. Mm. 
Yeah, see that that to me that's really the interesting part is when kind of this relationships this relationship allows for the IP to be steered in a certain way and right. I don't know how I feel about that honestly. You want the director, showrunner, producers to follow through in their creative vision, but also as a lover of said franchise you want it to stay true to the core of what it is it's kind of weird because we want our cake and eat it too we want them to do something new and interesting but when they do something new and interesting we're like uh that that's not what i you know that's not exactly what i came for (laughs) and it's kind of it's, it's a weird it's really a weird dynamic i mean especially you know bringing it back to doctor who they do something new and different and a lot of the fan base just are like, no, it's different. I'm not on board with right. that. With, with, without even giving it consideration yeah. uh, most of the time. Now, we, did, there we are didn't mean that tr- different. We meant the other different. <laughs> yeah, the other different. Yeah. <laughs> Talking Doctor Who for a moment. <laughs> I wish that we lived in an alternate reality where Chibnall delayed his start for a year, maybe two Jodie Whittaker still became the 13th Doctor, and Stephen Moffat w- wrote another series by Stephen two. Moffat. Uh, wow. <laughs> I, 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 just bear with me. The only we are, it could have been RTD. My point being is there is this association because of timing mm-hmm. with Jodie Whittaker yeah. and Chibnall coming sure. in together, and they're paired together. Unfortunately, the negativity that's been around that has, I think, fed into, oh, well, it's because she's a woman. I guess. I I don't believe that. But I think some people in the fandom do believe that. I I haven't heard that, although I have honestly learned how to uh, skip past, scroll past, and tune out a lot of negativity. So... It may be that people are saying that, and I just don't know because I don't want to hear it. But, um, but no, I wasn't arguing with you about uh, Stephen Moffat writing a first year of Jodie Whittaker. I, what I was, uh, the subtext of what I was saying was, "You're making my mouth water." That would have been, got you. <sighs> wow. Yeah, let's hop in our TARDIS and go back and make that happen. <laughs> because wow, what a what a missed opportunity. What a missed opportunity. So let me ask you guys this: In my Sp- speaking. Still on Doctor Who. Do you think that this negativity surrounding Chibnall, do you think it has hurt the Doctor Who brand? Or could it be that the popularity during especially the late Tenet and the Matt Smith eras simply wasn't sustainable? Mm. Thoughts? Mm. Well, I was just remembering that um, when Colin Baker became the Doctor, that apparently fan response was pretty negative. And some of that is because one of his first stories is one of the worst scripts of all time, <laughs> in my opinion. And there may be many who disagree. Twin Dilemma. But the BBC stood by him to the extent of having Perry complain about how he acts. And the doctor says to Perry, well, I'm the doctor now, whether you like it or not, <laughs> which <laughs> seems to have been a, you know, a, a, he could have almost have turned to the camera and said it. And when people complained about um, Jodie Whittaker, the BBC, you remember, they did an official response that basically said, well, she's the doctor now, whether you like it or not. So I don't feel like they are much affected by 
like they they're going to do what they're going to do. That that's the way it seems to me anyway. Just as you know, an observer reading the the, the magazines from across the ocean. So, Clarence, what do you think? Uh, give me the question one more time. I kind of lost it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think I <laughs> rambled off of that, but yeah. Do you think the negativity surrounding Chibnall has hurt the Doctor Who brand? Or could it be that the popularity seen during the late Tennant and Smith oh, yeah. eras simply wasn't sustainable? Oh, that's a hard one. You know, it's easy to say that it is not sustainable, but yet it was very popular for a really long time. I mean, very popular. Uh, I think back to, you know, keep talking about Trek. In the 90s was kind of its heyday. The late 80s, early 90s, all throughout the 90s, actually, was kind of its heyday, for me at least. And, you know, after a while, it just started to feel long in the tooth. So how do you keep something that you've flushed out so much? How do you keep it fresh and new? Well, let's let's go back. Let's do something different. And then you see a lot of people don't like that. So, again, like, I think there's just such a huge charge to try to do something new and different but keep it the same um i I very much would have liked uh the showrunners to stay on for one year during that transition to jody whittaker i think it would have greatly benefited because you know i hate to rag on chibnall but his, his style of story is just so different i feel and i think that's what's putting a lot of people off i really in a lot of ways i really don't think it matter who the doctor was whether it was a man or a woman i think his writing is just so different you know and, and again you know thinking of how huge doctor who is and was and, and even still remains for that matter it's hard to keep that up and keep it at its peak and still do something different and we also have to factor in too and we've we've mentioned on discussing who before the concept of music matters and the story that was told through those first 10 series over, you know, from 2005 to 2018, basically, was all told by Murray Gold. And no, you know, deference or, you know, slight on Aganola's music, but his style and storytelling in a musical sense is so unlike Murray Gold. Yeah, you, you also took that feeling, that underlying that undertone of, of musical composition that we're used to away as well. And I, I do feel like, you know, as much as I like to say the music is not that important to me, I do feel like that's part of it as well. You know, just the tone is so different uh, with that music being, you know, scored in an entirely different way. It's just something else that bleeds into the notion that, man, what, what, what are we doing here? So let's pivot to us based on what you just said. What are we doing here as podcasters? And Clarence, I'll let you take this one first. As podcasters, what role do we play in contributing to and or combating toxicity? Well, first of all, I think we are great stewards of the franchise, Uh, not the rag on ourselves. But I think as podcasters... You know, I think just our very nature of, you know, the three people on this call, we tend to look at the positive positivity in things, even when it may not be exactly what you want. I think that's just the type of people we are. 
Now, you do have those people and they're probably some of the most popular YouTube channels out there. <laughs> it's all they do is rag on stuff. That is their MO. That is all they do. And they have scores of listeners, scores of followers, subscribers. But, you know, I, I, one of the unique things I love about us is that, you know, even if it's something we don't like, we try to find the positivity on it. And then nine times out of 10, we could walk away with a happy attitude because we're going into it in, in, with a positive mind frame. I, I couldn't agree more. Sometimes it's a conscious effort, but most of the time, I, I think uh, Clarence is right that that's just who we are. And I don't, I don't want to sit around and complain about something for an hour every Tuesday night when we record. I don't, you know, that's that's not my idea of a good time. I know that there are people who, who have a certain animus, have a certain energy that they enjoy exercising by getting together with people and being angry about it, whatever it is. And it's something that I've never, I don't feel it. And so I've never understood it. I would not want to play a video game with your, your next door neighbor. You know, that's not my idea of a good time <laughs> to be cursing and yelling at somebody through my headset. That's just, uh, I don't want to do that. Why not talk about the things that we love and enjoy about this show, even episodes that we don't like. I mean, it seems to me that what we do, what the three of us do, is that we can get thrilled by the shows that we really, the episodes that we really like, and then we have a ball laughing at the ones that we don't. Yes. So it ends up being positive no matter what. And it doesn't mean that we can't, like you guys are saying, it doesn't mean that we cannot dislike something. We absolutely no. can. No. And and out of the three of us, I'll just come out and say, I think I would be the one of the three of us more inclined to get on a soapbox and rant, hence my rants about, in the past, Zack Snyder. <laughs> but I can also eat crow if I need to after what yeah, – you see what absolutely, I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's We're not, as podcasters – we're not the end-all, be-all, end-of-all time. We're not all-knowing, et cetera, Ooh. and so forth. We're just That's fans, right. just like the people that we're talking about. And I think you guys hit it very well in saying, if we focus on the bad, you're going to find it. But why not just enjoy the joy? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so let me, let me ask you guys this question, kind of start to wrap mm -hmm. us up. What do you think is the fandom – with the most vocal toxicity. <laughs> is, is that a constructive question? Uh, <laughs> it is because I'm going to, I'm going to flip oh, good, it in just good. a moment. I was going to say, let's end by really ragging on somebody. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I guess the, what, what I've heard the most is, is uh, for whatever reason, is, uh, is Star Wars. There was, there's something in these last three movies for everybody to hate, and boy, they do. <laughs> um, that's that's that'd be my vote all right what do you think clarence what's the one you think has the most toxic fandom yeah i have to agree with lee on this one it it most certainly has to be star wars um yeah i, I don't know any other way to put it and I, don't, I guess i can go in detail why but that would be <laughs> i'd be added to the toxicity rose <laughs> <laughs> oh boy Why, there's no reason to hate rose he just went in there and played her part come on people exactly are we really that's really the soapbox we're getting up on for right right i don't I, i'll never i will go to my grave not understanding that one i don't <laughs> i don't get it oh my gosh so i have an explanation uh, for that one 
let's say we are all, and I may have even used this in a podcast before, but I'm going to use it again. We're five people of the same age, of the same sex, from the same city that look exactly alike, and there's no difference between the way we talk, the way we look. We are duplicates for all, every intent and purpose. One person stands in the middle. Two people stand on the left side. Two people stand on the right side. Give them time. They're going to hate the person in the middle because he thinks or she thinks they're better than the others. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. We're going to find something to distinguish and dislike the other. There has to be an other to make me, whatever the me is, feel better. That's just my thought. So I will agree. Star Wars was probably the most toxic. I think the fandom that may have the least toxicity, I kind of want to say Harry Potter, but I'm not quite Mm. sure. But I will say that I think Doctor Who has one of the most welcoming fandoms. I don't know if it's the least toxic, but I think it might be, if not just a little bit more, definitely tied with Star Trek as probably being the two with the most welcoming of fandoms. So that's who I would say has the least toxicity. Clarence, what do you say? What's the least toxic in your opinion? Mm, I have no idea. Least toxic. Football? I don't know. (laughs) NFL? I don't know. Oh, come on. (laughs) Hey, it's a franchise. Yeah, but I mean, (laughs) I've seen people set each other's houses on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. And there was this fight I saw the time I went to a New Orleans game, so maybe that isn't a piss. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I think Harry Potter probably as well, but then again, there's a whole nother... Not necessarily toxicity, but, you know, trouble with that particular franchise. So I think everyone has their quirks. You got to think, too, like, where is that toxicity coming from? Harry Potter, as far as the fans and how they interact with the IP, no. But you have other underlying things that people don't really, really problems with that IP uh, as far as, you know, who wrote it and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, think I don't if, know. If you take Joe Rowling out of it, I think I'd have to agree with uh, Harry Potter that I, I don't experience people fighting over Harry Potter. That, uh, yeah, one of the things that fascinates me about that um, intellectual property, in fact, is that is the degree to which people have embraced not being Gryffindor, you know, <laughs> that I know people who are proud to call themselves Hufflepuffs and Ravenclaws, you know, and Slytherin for that matter, you know. So uh, they discovered that there was something for everybody and that they they, they don't all have to be the same. And that's, I think that's, that's really lovely. We took something negative. We took something positive. We chose to, to mention the negative. We chose to see the positive. And if you talk it out, you can come to an agreement because all three of us ultimately wound up in some fashion saying Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Keeping an open yeah. mind. And I think that was where I wanted to kind of go is to talk about toxic fandoms, but also realize, and maybe as a reminder to myself, reminder to anyone listening, reminder to the three of us, try to find the positive because there's plenty of negative. There is. There. But you know what is very positive? is that I want to know what you guys might be reading or watching that you would positively like to share 
with people who are listening. Reading, listening, or watching. Lee Shackelford, what might that oh, be? Oh, why do I have to go first? Oh, oh. You know what I've just rediscovered? Because um, I teach an introduction to cinema class, and I'm always rethinking my, uh, my list of films. So I've dropped a film out of the rotation, and in its place I have added Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing which is a film from 40 years ago. But my God, it is as timely as tomorrow's headlines. And that's the institutional truth. Ruth. Mm. <laughs> so if you're not familiar and you would like to see a very young Samuel, Samuel L. Jackson, if you'd like to see a very young uh, John Turturro, if you like, it's, it's just a great cast, including a guy who will grow up to be Moff Gideon. Ah. Anyway, but uh, oh, it. exactly. And here he is as bugging out. But I, I think it is a truly, truly great film. It is a tough film to watch because Spike Lee knew what he wanted to do, and he does not blink. He does not blink from from what he wants to do. But he asks. It's a it's a very enjoyable film that asks tough questions of its audience, and there's something in it to offend everybody. I can guarantee you that. Too. <laughs> anyway, do the right thing. For me, I'm still watching Snowpiercer. I know I'm like a broken record here, uh, but I'm still enjoying it. So, yeah. you know, uh, check that one out. And of course, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're, oh, I think, halfway through the six episode run, and I'm enjoying that very much. Oh, it's only six episodes? Yeah, I think it's only six, unfortunately. Oh, wow. <laughs> Darn. Oh, I wish I would. I thought, I thought it would be at least eight, but hey, I'm enjoying it too. So, woohoo. Oh, yeah. I got a pleasant surprise uh, right before we started recording. I was looking through my email, and I thought on BritBox that this would be coming out late in this month, meaning like toward the end of the month, being late in the month. But the first couple of episodes of season 10 of something that I really, really enjoy, Death in Paradise, is out right now. So I'm going to go watch it as soon as we uh, stop recording because they're bringing back people that have been gone from since like second season so can't wait to go watch that death in paradise which has chris marshall in it several seasons who i think would be a fantastic doctor who so fyi so gentlemen thank you as always for joining me and for everyone listening thank you also as well if you have any feedback we want to hear yeah. what you think what do you think about toxic fandom were we on the mark were we did we miss the mark let us know and as always you are appreciated and we will be back next time Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe.
climb aboard for adventure. Your traveling companions are fellow fans of Doctor Who. That's right, it's the podcast Discussing Who, exploring the worlds of Doctor Who, past, present, and future. Find out more at discussingwho.com. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.